I don't believe that actually like AI is replacing so many jobs. Like at least for the, the use cases we are solving, more want to enable people who have like a certain domain expertise to do more on their own and work better with the data scientists together. So like in no scenario, we are cultured so far, I would argue that we actually replace the human being, but we, for example, help, help to improve a process. Like there's a chemical company we are working with, like, yeah, we help them to improve their, their processing pipeline. Right. And so the way we do that is essentially giving the right people the right tool to in order to make better predictions, which help them to make better decisions than that. Welcome to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast, where Justin Grammons and the team at Emerging Technologies North talk with experts in the fields of artificial intelligence and deep learning. In each episode, we cut through the hype and dive into how these technologies are being applied to real-world problems today. We hope that you find this episode educational and applicable to your industry and connect with us to learn more about our organization at AppliedAI.mn. Enjoy! Welcome everyone to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast. Today we're talking with Tim Krasa. Tim is a professor at MIT in their Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory and a co-founder at Einblick, where they are developing the first visual data computing platform based on six years of research at MIT and Brown University. Tim holds a Master of Information Technology from the University of Sydney, a postdoc in computer science from the University of California, Berkeley, and a PhD in computer science from ETH Zurich. Thanks for being on the program today, Tim. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, I, I told a little bit about maybe where you're at today, right? Some of the awesome stuff that you're doing at MIT and, and working with Brown University. Maybe you give a little bit of a short background, I guess, in terms of where you got to where you are. Sure. So my main area of research is either applying machine learning to improve systems or building systems to make machine learning like easier for a broader range of users. And like the thing you particularly mentioned, the company we founded, iBlake, came out of a research project for the latter. So we, what we are really trying to achieve is like building a system which makes machine learning, data science, data exploration much more approachable for like a larger audience and shortens the time to insight for people in businesses. And then on the other hand, now at MIT, I'm focused a lot on like the area of um, how to leverage machine learning to improve systems. I see. Well, we're all about applications of artificial intelligence here on this program. So maybe it's a sort of a data visualization tool and we'll, we'll be sure to include links and stuff to the website. But, you know, maybe how did this idea sort of come about? So like I like originally started as like the, the research project with the code Nostar back in the days. And this was mainly motivated by the fact that we saw like these large interactive whiteboards appearing on the market. Like, for example, there was the Microsoft Surface Hub the Google Jamboard, Samsung Flip, there are a whole bunch of them. And these are like touchable TVs you put in a conference room. And then people back then mainly used them to just like do better video conferencing so that you can have a shared whiteboard in different locations. And when we saw these devices appear on the market, we thought like, oh, these are very interesting. They are now becoming mainstream, but they could be so much more. So... Can we not build an environment where people as a group, as a team can work together on a problem using one of these like large interactive whiteboards? And so instead of just like sharing final results, like you really want to bring a team together in a room 
and that they can explore a data set, build a model, get insights of it, and then eventually also take action based on what they saw. So this was the original vision. And over the time, it actually dramatically changed. So first of all, the pandemic obviously happened. So when we spanned it out as a company, like the first thing was like, oh yeah, like in-person meetings probably will not have the same type of importance anymore than it used to. And so we heavily invested in how we enable something very similar, but in remote locations. And the other thing during this journey of building this platform for like essentially data science tools for teams, we also discovered that a lot of the technology without there is not adequate to provide the interactivity needed to enable actually a team of researchers to make discoveries on the fly. And we had to invent a whole range of new technology in order to make that happen. I see. So... Like you said, there are visual whiteboards, or I guess virtual whiteboards, right? Uh, you know, out there, like like Jamboard and stuff like that, where people can move stuff around. But it, they're not really catering. You say there's certain maybe things that are lacking specifically around data science. Yeah, like so the existing like whiteboard technology, you have, like the Google Jamboard and so on. They mainly focus on video conferencing, and maybe you have like a shared whiteboard, and they have some apps now. But it's not like that. You could use them to explore a data set together. So some people use them to show dashboards, but dashboards is more like a final result. Somebody else created for you and you just consume rather than you do something new. So we, we always thought about this just like, I think um, partially was also in, you know, like what we did inspired by movies. So like if you think about Minority Report, you know, it, it proposes this like very new way on how you interact with data. And when we had the first prototypes, like often people immediately always saw like, oh, that's a minority report for real. Nowadays, actually, if I talk to my students, nobody knows minority report anymore. So this comparison, unfortunately, doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. But the concept is still there. Absolutely. Did you guys find the pandemic actually maybe boosted the need or, or increased the interest in this product? For sure. Like, I think the pandemic particular uplifted a whole range of tools which focus on collaboration. And what I mean by that is just like, if you look at different areas, like you are trying to do text editing and it used to be the case, if you want to work on a text together with other colleagues, that you were sending Word documents around. Nowadays, everybody is using like something like Google Docs, Office 365, there are several people at the same time can work on the same document simultaneously, right? And this became so much more important during the pandemic because like everybody was in remote locations. And so you, you were looking for new ways to replace cross meetings, right? So like this online editing of a text document, I think like even was like more emphasized than it used to. But it's not just like text editing. Every single other common business use case, we see something similar happening. So like spreadsheets, obviously, as well, like you have Google Spreadsheets, which is replacing like the, the traditional Excel. If you look into design, like it used to be the case that you send like PDFs around with proposals for design. Now you have like startups like Figma, who are really changing the way on how people do design together. We are trying to do something very, very similar for the analytics space. So like it used to be the case if you do analytics and you have like the traditional tools you have there, like Tableau, Click and Co., they are mainly designed still for single user and the single user is interacting with them and then sharing the final results. It's not like that you can have several users at the same time exploring a data set, exchanging ideas, seeing that like how they actually do something together on a, on a big 
let's say, Byteboard or Interactive Canvas. And this is where we come in. This is what IMVIC does. It's like really providing this like similar to the news editing thing. On top of that, we also created a whole range of like new capabilities which we later on saw uh, at our customers. For example, like in our case, but we notice in the moment you want to enable people to collaborate together, nobody wants to wait for a result, right? So if you have a large data set, for example, like a simple visualization of it might take a few minutes. If you are alone, you might be okay with waiting a few minutes until it shows up, right? Because it's your time, you do your emails, it's fine. In the moment you're on a team, you look at the screen, Right? And it, it takes a few minutes. Nobody wants to wait a few minutes and just like stare there in silence, right? And so this cost like us for like figuring out new ways on how to ensure the system stays always interactive, regardless of the data size and regardless of the operations you are doing. And we developed like this, this new concept called progressive approximation for that reason, so that we can guarantee this interactivity and enable again the team to work with very large data sets and complex things. I like that. That's cool. As you were speaking, I was sort of thinking about, well, somebody could just like, I, I deal a lot with like Jupyter Notebooks and like Google Colab and stuff like that. And so I could share my screen and people could watch it and I could be interactive with regards to like, you know, modifying code. But number one, A, we're not both working on the same document at the same time, really, right? It's not like a Google Doc where things are being shifted around. And then also, like you said, like sometimes those things can take, you know, minutes, hours to run. <laughs> There's like large data sets. So people are just staring at a screen, sort of watching the, the stars move across and that, that sort of lose out on all of that. Exactly. And so like actually one of the very first things we thought would be like, oh, why don't we make like Jupyter Notebooks more collaborative? Just essentially put like an editing mode like Google Docs on top of Jupyter Notebooks. But that also has problems. Like, for example, if somebody is changing something at the top of the document and you are at the bottom, how do you know what he changed at the top? Because it influences everything else, right? And so we needed to figure out different ways how you interact with that. And then obviously also deal with the slowness of the traditional approach of doing things. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, seeing stuff more interactive that you were sort of saying, maybe uh, you, you mentioned you guys had a term for that, right? More of a progressive rendering type solution? Yeah, right. If it's a progressive approximation engine, the core idea behind that is like you, you can also write like code in our platform. This is like you can think of like Python as like an operator and we make even the code you write interactive as well. The core idea behind that is that fully automatically for you, we first run whatever you want to do over a small sample of the data, give you a quick approximate result, and then in the background, we make the sample larger and larger to give you better and better results until it eventually converges to the final answer. So if you wait long enough, you will get the final answer and it will be precise. But in the beginning, you get something approximate. And as we all know, approximation is like an extremely powerful tool. Like sampling works extremely well, right? And so, like, this unblocks you. So often what we see, like, people doing is they try something out and they see the first results coming in and it's like, oh, shit, I included this feature and this is information because I shouldn't have done that. So they remove it quickly before the computation finishes and then go to the next iteration. So it helps you to iterate much, much more quickly. Oh, that's great. That sounds super powerful, I think, for people. Like you said, it's kind of all about iteration and we're all sort of learning around this data. When you come into a data set, there's not a whole lot you really know sometimes about it. So the more you can iterate quickly, the faster you can become. I was thinking about you guys. 
what are you looking at with regards to funding, right? Are you, you self-funding this? This is kind of sort of came out of an idea out of, from, from MIT. Tell us a little bit about maybe like where you are in your product release cycle and your journey. Yeah, so we uh, are an official MIT uh, Brown spin-off. And like almost on day one, we raised a very large seed round. So we, we are currently using the seed round to continue to develop the product more. We have a set of like design partners and like we have some annual revenue already. But it's like still early stage and we are now just launched our SaaS offering. So actually you can just come to ironlick.ai and just sign up and immediately use it without any restriction. That's awesome. Very cool. So that's one part of your your job, I guess, right, is is being a co-founder at this fast-growing startup that's doing some really cool stuff in, in AI. But you also teach at MIT, right? It's part of the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab. Correct. Tell us a little bit about maybe what sort of courses you teach, how long have you been in, involved in that? Yeah, what's what's your experience working at MIT? I'm, I'm fascinated by it because it's, it's such a great school. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely fun and the students are, are really, really good. My research right now at MIT, as I mentioned before, mainly focuses on how to leverage machine learning to improve systems. So the class we taught last semester, I actually did it with a colleague of mine, uh, Mohamed Alizida. We taught a class on machine learning for systems, particularly focusing on this like intersection of the two. Now in this semester, I'm actually teaching a new class for the second time called Systems for Data Science. And the core focus is there on like, as you know, data science is like an area, but instead of just looking at the machine learning part, our focus is particular on figuring or like teaching the concept more end to end from like getting the raw data, how to transform it, how to visualize it, how to process it, what to do if the data is large, how to present the results on the end and just like cover a bunch of tools you need for like making insights based on data end to end. Oh, wow. That seems very applicable to what people need to do in their career. Because oftentimes, I guess it depends on the size of the organization that you're at. But, you know, most small companies, you got to kind of wear all these various hats, right? From data right. engineer to DevOps, pipeline stuff to visualization. So you're sort of trying to give them this overall, hey, here's all the tools that you kind of need to go end to end from a raw data set to something that you could make predictions against at the end of the day. Is that, is that right? That's right. And uh, like I probably should also mention for the audience, like I'm also offering a new like professional education course at MIT with a very similar focus, particular on like no code tools for data science. We'll offer this summer, I think in June or July. But if you go to the professional education webpage at MIT, you can find it and everybody can sign up for that one. Nice. Well, I was doing an interview with somebody just maybe uh, last week, actually, and they were sort of saying that it feels like artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to touch no matter what you're in, you, you're going to want to understand and learn a little bit about it. And some of these low-code platforms, I think, will bring in people that don't have any technology experience, but yet need to understand sort of, you know, just some of the benefits of, of, of learning it, right? That's 100% right. Like, I think there's a reason why most courses now at, at universities, or it doesn't matter in which department you are in, many of them actually by now have like a data uh, literacy requirement. They require, like, even if you're studying like a literature as an example, that you take some data courses very like and that I think is a really good thing because in the end it's just like hardly any discipline left which is not touched by data. It goes everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Well one of the things I'd like to ask people is how do you define artificial intelligence? Do you, do you have a, a short, succinct thing or if somebody asks you in an elevator, what do you do? I normally stay away from the term artificial intelligence. Okay. <laughs> I know I get it. I get it. It's a little bit of a can of worms, but 
for obvious reasons. I think like what many people do in industry right now, what people need are not much to do with real intelligence. It's more like that you try to build, no, you use machine learning, you build a model which does like certain things for you, but it's not necessarily that intelligence plays a role there. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you feel like, you know, we're, we're, it's very, very narrow with regards to what we can do today. Yes, computers can do things very good, but they still need to be, their hand needs to be held a lot, right? These are not intelligent systems yet. No, they might be able to outperform like even humans in certain scenarios. But like the question is like, how much is pattern recognition? How much is actually really generalization going on? And it's uh, it's a very tough question. So for example, I'm like, our focus is often more on the traditional techniques. So not like we use deep learning techniques, but mainly for transfer learning. For example, if you work with text and unstructured data, we, we leverage models, which other people have trained to build up feature vectors. But what we notice is like, at least with the design partners we're having and the current customers at IMLIC, it's much more so that like most of them require very simple techniques and it already provides them a lot of value. So in many scenarios, actually, just the simple like boosted decision tree is hard to beat. And so like, I mean, like decision trees now, you can also say like, yeah, there's some intelligence in there. I probably would argue against that, but they're sort of a real business use case, and and that is what they really care about. Yeah, for sure. And it it seems like your technology is just very much, I guess, complementary. You know, some sometimes people get worried about AI taking over their jobs, right? Or you know, basically data science making their jobs obsolete. But it feels like you guys are providing you know a very nice tool that allows people to work on this from literally anywhere in the world. Yeah. No. Like I. I don't believe that actually like AI is replacing so many jobs, like at least for the, the use cases we are solving. There might be others where this is different, but the use cases we are solving, we more want to enable people who have like a certain domain expertise to do more on their own and work better with the data scientists together. So like in no scenario we are cultured so far, I would argue that we actually replace the human being, but we, for example, help, help to improve a process, right? Like there's a chemical company we are working with we help them to improve their processing pipeline, right? And so the way we do that is essentially giving the right people the right tool to in order to make better predictions, which help them to make better decisions in that. Yeah, makes a lot of sense, for sure. Well, are you guys growing and, and hiring at, uh, at Einblick? For sure. Like, we definitely have like some engineering positions open. We are looking also for marketing people right now. Uh, particularly for the SaaS offering. So essentially on all levels, we are looking for good people. So if anybody is looking, please let us know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll definitely go ahead and put a link to your guys' uh, career page or your, your jobs posting here in the uh, liner notes. You know, this is more of a personal question, but I mean, what, what sort of stuff do you, do you read these days? Do you, uh, you enjoy staying in the machine learning, artificial intelligence side, or is there other sort of stuff you find interesting that you... Uh, that's a good question. So the, the uh, last book I really, really enjoyed was, which is like from the same author who did The Martian. It's like, I really thought it's a really good book. Even though I don't like sci-fi usually, I really, really enjoyed reading that one. Excellent. Well, I will put a, I'll put a link to it. It's called Hail Mary, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that, that's good. So you've sort of been in this field. I, I mentioned on the way up, you got a you know PhD. You've been dealing a lot in sort of computer science. If people are coming out of school these days, 
you know, what, what do you suggest they, you know, how, how do you suggest they advance and get more deeply into this field? At what level? Imagine when you got out of school, right? You know, you're done with your undergraduate degree, right? You have an undergrad in sort of computer science and you've heard that this machine learning uh, data science stuff is, is really interesting. You know, you maybe don't have a master's or specialization in it per se, but where would you suggest people start trying to explore some of these techniques? Right. So I think it depends a little bit on, again, like where you are coming from as well as where you want to go. Right. So like it, normally if you are about to finish your undergraduate, the first question you have to ask yourself is like, do you want to get a PhD or not? Right? And so if you want to work on the cutting edge research in like machine learning and advance the fields of like learning techniques and so on, or like anything related to it, it's still hard to do if you probably don't get the get a PhD and then afterwards get, for example, in the right place as an industry, given that there's a certain complexity that you need to get up and there's a certain literacy you need to have with math and other things. So this is really a goal. Like being in a research field, I normally recommend that, like, yeah, you aim for a PhD and the best thing to do is like actually during your undergraduate, you already need to lay the foundation for getting into the right program afterwards, which means like room at your university, start some research early on, show that you can do research and get a good recommendation letter from one of the professors at your place, which then puts you up into your, like getting them to the right grad school program and you simply can go from there. If you're just generally interested in the space of like machine learning, data science and so on, I think there are so many good like courses by now online, like from Coursera or Education X, like there, there are a whole bunch of them. And I think they provide like great resources. Just like if you, if you are like one of the, the schools and you study, for example, CS, you can also always go for one of the machine learning classes your university offers. Fine. I think like interesting enough, like it's, it's said, there's not many disciplines right now, which are not touched by data or AI ML in industry as well. For example, I'm working with this like team in Bigtable. And we propose this new things for optimizations there. And like, even though in the beginning they were working on data systems, but not necessarily AI, but it turns out now this becomes relevant in there. So I think if you are keen on being in that space, just like looking out for the right opportunities within your company or like to just go there and explore and just say like, oh, can I invest like one day a week in this like new thing and see if I can do better? Absolutely. Those are great tips. And there's always seems to be some sort of either, um, why the name's escaping me, but some of these code competitions, right, that are sort of like going on, these, these data science competitions where you can just sort of jump in and start getting yourself, just get your feet wet, right? It feels to me like you just start. Yeah, I think that's a great starting point. That's right. Yeah, good. Well, you know, it sounds like you've got your hands on a couple different projects. You know, as you guys are working with your company, Einblick, I mean, are you, do you see any other interesting things in the news, you know, at all? You're like, wow, that's an interesting application of artificial intelligence that I hadn't really thought of. That's an excellent question. I mean, like, they, they have a whole bunch of like very interesting applications going on right now. I actually just talked to like a former PhD student at MIT. Yeah, he created this company called Instabase and they do some like very interesting work on like, taking particular unstructured data and transform it to structured data, like a particular for information extraction. I felt like what they do, like they just presented in, in the class, so it's like freshly on my mind. I thought it was like an interesting approach, how they combine like interesting deep learning technology in a clever way for this like new task. So I definitely also recommend checking them out. 
they're very complementary to us. They're really focused on, on this part, whereas like we are much focused on the data exploration one as part of IMDIC. So at some point, like I need to talk more with them and see on how we can work together going forward. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, that's awesome. I mean, I, I would assume there's probably lots of companies being formed at MIT, pretty much with all these classes that are going on, everyone. You put a lot of smart people together, you're going to get something interesting for sure. How do people reach out to you? Are you on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. That definitely works. So you can easily find me on LinkedIn. It's also very easy if you search for Tim Kaska that you find my webpage and email addresses on there. Otherwise, you can also just reach out to hey at imblick.ai. Awesome. That's great. And maybe some people want to take your courses. Are, are your courses online at all or you have to be in, in person? So we're actually streaming our current one. I'm not sure if the link is actually public, but if you're interested, like just ping me and I will see what I can do. Uh, I said there's also the professional education course which we are offering. It's a certificate and everything to MIT's professional education program, which is this summer. And otherwise, I'm always happy to share my, my slides and anything. So even if you don't have the recordings, like Getting the lecture notes is always a possibility. Oh, that's great. That's great. I'm a huge fan of just, you know, kind of giving back in some ways, right? Kind of learning and then teaching and then leading in a specific uh, technology or industry. And, and so, you know, the more we can just let more and more people have access to all this information, I think the better the world will be for sure. Is there anything else you would want to, maybe I didn't, I didn't cover, that you wanted to talk about today? No, like, thanks again for having me here. This was great. All right. Well, cool, Tim. Look forward to having you on a future episode and um, wish you all the best wishes here as uh, you guys continue. You guys have been in business for about six years, I think is, is what I saw. Oh, the research project, the company is not that old. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. Okay. So you guys are still, no, like, still yeah, very yeah, The company is much, much younger. <laughs> well, good. Well, I look forward to, uh, like I say, having you back in the future and you know, having us continue to talk about how machine learning and artificial intelligence and data science are all sort of playing around in our lives today. So thanks again, Tim. Thanks again for having me. You've listened to another episode of the Conversations on Applied AI podcast. We hope you are eager to learn more about applying artificial intelligence and deep learning within your organization. You can visit us at appliedai.mn to keep up to date on our events and connect with our amazing community. Please don't hesitate to reach out to Justin at AppliedAI.mn if you are interested in participating in a future episode. Thank you for listening.